G'day Kyle, Tim here from the red hot land down under. It's a beautiful 31 degree day here, which is about what, 91 Fahrenheit. Sitting on the beach listening to you mate, my favourite podcast, keep up the good work legend. What's up everybody? You know, if I were to put a dollar amount on how much money I make on this podcast per hour of working on it, it would probably equate to something like 70 cents an hour. And it is listeners like Tim that keep this fucking thing going. I love hearing from people like that. So if any of you are tuning in from an especially radical spot from around the world, if you have a public service announcement like a beach cleanup approaching, if you are just excited about something and want to let an audience of a few thousand people know, um, you can record it on your voice memos and you can email it to me. My email is kyle at kyle.surf. Keep it under 20 seconds and bonus points if it's funny. I hope that everyone who is listening to my voice in California right now is safe. My heart goes out to everyone who has been affected by these fires. I am up in Santa Cruz, uh, where I have been the last few weeks. And although we're not directly it, uh, affected by it, whew, we're, we're seeing it. I've been watching these sunsets the last few nights, and it's a very conflicting feeling having some of the best sunsets of the year be a result of such destruction. Makes it difficult to enjoy them fully. So, um, yeah, I hope we can get these things under control. And hug a firefighter. On another note, uh, I wanted to recommend a documentary that I watched last night. It's a PBS Frontlines documentary called The War on the EPA. It's a really important uh, and well-crafted documentary on how the Trump administration is dismantling the EPA. Hooray! Uh, I'm going to include it in my monthly newsletter. Uh, I now do... Uh, an email just once a month where I include the best documentaries I've been watching, the best books I've been reading, best podcasts that I've been listening to. Um, and I email it to you just once a month. Head over to my website, kyle.surf, if you want to sign up. This episode was recorded on Chris Malloy's ranch in Central California. Chris Malloy has been a professional surfer for the last two decades. He is an accomplished filmmaker. He's made films that include 180 Degrees South, Thicker Than Water, The Fisherman's Son, Groundswell, A Broke Down Melody. That was a sixer film. I haven't seen that one in a long time. And more. You won't be able to get in touch with Chris after this podcast if you try, because he doesn't have social media, and he spends most of his time these days working with his hands out on a ranch. We talked a bit about that in this episode. So, without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Chris Malloy. Kyle Cameron here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave and you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. So, yeah, when, you know, from during that, like, 20 years of, of being paid to surf, um, it was, uh, you know, it would be, it would be uh, you know, winters on the North Shore and then West Oz and Indo in the spring. <laughs> um, and then, like, mid to late summer, you'd come home, you know, get your quiver figured out, and then you don't, and then I would always try to go somewhere, somewhere new and different, just take a total risk, you know, and go somewhere new, and most of the time, we'd score, um, and, uh, so, but I would always squeeze in these little missions to go sit with the elders, my dad was, like, so old school about respect for the elders, and so, like, so during that time, I got to go spend time with, you know, um, 
it was always different how it, how I ended up getting to spend time with him. But it, but but you know people like Bob McTavish, um, George Greeno, Pat Curran, Mickey Dora. Um, in Hawaii, is that where you spent time with all over? Just like whenever I like heard one of those guys was around or I knew they lived in that region, you know, like I always break off and, and go whether it was a whether it was a day or whether it was like, you know, I just hang as, until they basically make me get and leave. And yeah. like so w- w- one of the thing things was and I think it was a subconscious at the time, but I was really kind of like looking at at their blueprints, you know, like okay, these guys were um, their whole life was surfing at one point and they were running around the world trying to find ways like, you know, definitely different than how we got it um they were way more legit on all levels but um kind of just checking out their scene like did they have kids did they get whacked down on drugs did they like who's who's stoked and who's still like doing it you know and so um the guys that were willing to kind of like i mean everybody stayed surfing but the guys that were able to really differentiate that life they had in print from how they were living 30 40 years later 50 years later like the guys that really really differentiated the past and became like their own person seemed way more stoked yeah you know and so um so yeah i think that plant kind of planted seeds in so my who, head. who were those guys george greeno he said yeah, yeah. pat curran curran and what was it about them that you respected? Well, Greeno's Greeno's a total anomaly. Like I, I actually, the the only thing I learned from him besides just awesome stories, we we just talked about his, you know, because I remember surfing Emmawood with him uh, at the overhead on a mat and just being like, "Who is that weirdo?" You know, is he from Ventura? He's from Santa Barbara. Yeah. Um, and he was doing some of the earliest water photography. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. He he had like a version of a GoPro that weighed like, I think like sixty pounds or something. Yeah, some of those early in yeah. the tube shots that now we take yeah. for granted. Yeah. Can you imagine how revolutionary that would be for an audience for the first time in the in the world to have that view from inside a barrel? Yeah. Well, I think for most people that don't surf, um, they could see it uh, like a. A, a seal with a beach ball in its nose and think that's just as cool if not cooler I think it's if you put in your whole life trying to get that view and you've only gotten it a few times and then there it is I think that those are the people that marvel at that stuff. right yeah maybe <laughs> you always see someone kick out the back of a wave and get like two feet of air and then the crowd goes wild and people on exactly. the pier and then you see someone do a killer cut back yeah. and get barreled and get spit out and it was eh, no, yeah that oh, seemed nice I right how that feels yeah for sure so um, I, you know, all those guys had, um, really neat, you know, it was just great to, to sit with them and talk story. And there wasn't, there's not like one guy that I was like, yeah, that guy, you right. know, um, John Kelly, I got to sit with and, and through Mark Cunningham and Jerry Lopez. And I mean, Lopez definitely, his blueprint's pretty, pretty, pretty flawless on a lot of levels. Um, you know, talk about checking out of of Easy Street. You know, living in Hawaii and and um, moving to Oregon and get, getting into snowboarding and doing his whole thing. That's pretty pretty interesting. And whenever I see him, he seems pretty grounded and, and stoked. Yeah, I don't know him super well, but he seems like someone who was willing to leave that ego behind. Because if you're the king of the North Shore, that's a hard identity to leave behind. He saw it changing. You know, it, it, the North Shore has just changed so much from from the days of Mead Hall, you know, all the way till now is just like, I mean, it's, it's a completely different place. And he saw that, he saw that writing on the wall and, uh, you know, he's sort of an easy come, easy go kind of guy. So how so, how would you say it's changed? Uh, it's just, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's not local anymore. You know, it's, it's like kind of like, it's kind of like, I mean, there's salt of the earth Hawaiians still left and there always will be uh, God willing, um, but you know it feels it's a little bit. I mean, everybody knows this. I'm not. It's it. You know, it feels a little more like Newport Beach or Huntington Beach than it. Then I didn't. My first trip to North Shore wasn't until uh, the late '80s, so I, I I I don't know what it was like. 
in in the in the golden back the when golden it was era. back when it was real yeah. wild man yeah, yeah. and 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 <clears throat> you know but I, from from the late 80s till now you know it's definitely definitely changed it's very um it's pretty a gentle place now right <laughs> you know which is it's good you know i have dear friends and i i have my whole you know the hill house and and all of my buddies over there i still go there every year still hang out with them and this the magic is all still there you know it's just a just a little harder to get around. I mean, just the natural landscape is so magical. There. It is. You can't beat it. I always, I always say that. I mean, on the on the face of the earth. Do you see a squirrel right now? Yeah, I saw one. So, so right now we're out on a ranch, and what kind of gun is this? It's a seventeen. <laughs> we have a seventeen, and uh, Chris has been devouring squirrels. <laughs> so if we see one, we're going to take a pause in the if podcast. You, if you hear a pop. <laughs> we'll keep recording. But <laughs> but no, the North Shore is still magic and, and uh, it's it's just evolved, just like everywhere. And yeah. I mean, there's no place on earth that hasn't changed in the last 30 years. Yeah. Is it hard to shoot squirrels? Um, You want to try? Sure. Okay, if we see one, I'll set you up. Okay. <laughs> this little 17 is a little, it's a little laser beam. If they're, it's not. It's not too hard. Yeah. Do you bow hunt as well? No, I don't. I'd like to. Something I'm, seems like something you would really enjoy. I'd like to. Yeah. I think my excuse is that I just like bow hunting is is so much more of a commitment. You know, with 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 a time commitment and with three kids and all the animals I got to feed around here. I just don't. You know, I aspire to. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's also a discipline that takes so much work to yeah. stay sharp at, especially yeah. if you want to do it responsibly. Right. Exactly. That's exactly. So there's, I mean, it's, it's more easy to kill an animal with right. a gun. Right. So, I mean, th- that, mm. you go, would you disagree with that? No, not at all. Yeah. And I mean, for me personally, in the last 10 years, like the vast majority of hunting I've done is, is um, wild pig hunting. And it's basically when my, my wife's like, Hey, the, the freezer's getting empty, you know? And so it's like, okay, go out and get some, you know, get something for the freezer. So, um, that's the most, of, uh, a 30, 30 is the most effective way to, to put them on the ground for, for me. Yeah. And will you go up into the hills here most, most of the time for a uh, wild picket in, this, in this region? Yeah. 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 And, um, for the past 10 years now you've been into the hunting world. I mean, no, I think I've like, I, it's more like I just described. It's been in the last few years where I've really been going, okay, I want to, you know, go go see what that region's about and hook up with the crew there and 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 it has a lot to do with the fact that my boys are getting to the age where they're starting to ask and um but no i've been pretty pretty basic about you know my my thing is more spear fishing and then and then and then hogs for the freezer yeah thing that i like about hunting so much is that it's a lot like chasing a swell where you're going to learn about the natural landscape um in order to taken like so the the goal of a hunt many times right is to take an animal but through that um single purpose you're learning about the natural ecosystem you're learning about how these different animals intersect with plants you're learning about wind patterns and you get this really vast body of knowledge through a singular per, single pursuit in a similar way um to chasing a swell yeah, you know, down in down in Chile, right? You're yeah. going to learn all about the bathymetry. You're going to learn about mm-hmm. the swell directions that might come in, and it's a really um, it's a really special way to to learn. Yeah, to have a single pursuit and then um, through that pursuit be you know become an ecologist in, yeah. in some ways. Yeah, and that element of anticipation. You know, you wake up in the morning thinking about it. You go to bed at night thinking about it. You call your buddies. And tune in on beta, you know, like what's the latest I saw? I saw a big buck up, you know, in this canyon. And then, you know, all that, all that anticipation is super similar to surfing. And I think there's sort of this like allure because there's no ultimate knowledge. Like no surfer knows everything about the ocean and no hunter knows everything. Like you're, it's this, 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 this knowledge that you, that you're, continually getting more and more i think that if you magically somehow knew everything <clears throat> about a certain terrain like you'd be get bored of it you know like i love you know like i've been diving my whole life and i still see fish that i'm like what is, what the hell is that right. you know i love that element and same with i'm a bird nerd and and same with like with wildflower stuff like we go out and like i love seeing stuff that i have no idea what it was like in at at my age being outside every single day of my life 
always looking like I'm always always looking and to stumble on, upon something that I haven't seen like to me that's as good as anything you know so um do you find that now the films that you choose to produce will come from um a curiosity that you have in the same way that you might have a curiosity about an animal yeah I mean so I didn't ever have any aspirations to get into film I got into film because I got hurt surfing pipe and they and the doctor was like you know, you're done. <laughs> you're done with your surf deal. Really? What, what yeah, was that? I just f- fucked up and went over the falls on a s- second reset and got four more on on the top of my head and bloom. Yeah. What What happened? I just got banged up. Yeah. I had to get um, surgery that kept me out of the. I I blew my right knee, the medial lateral Ooh. meniscus, the uh, ACL. Knees are complicated yeah. features well, the, too. Man. The thing was, the thing is, is my little my leash was on that leg, so I came up and I'm like bleeding, and I, I thought I had like a compound fracture of my femur because my leg was like flopping and there was blood. So then there's four or five more waves in the set, and um, my leash was on that foot, so I was like, okay, take the leash off, and then if I pass out, I'm they won't find me or keep it on that. <laughs> on keep my leash on that leg and i which i chose to do and it just like imagine doing that to your knee and then having it yanked four times as hard it sucked (laughs) it sucked and i hit my head good too and and so so i um had been around cameras because of being in front of the camera surfing and so i and i i I was interested in 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 photography at the time uh and i i had I, I, you know, I thought there's a really good chance I was going to have to do something else, and I, and I can't. I'm like, I'm, I don't have another trade, you know. So I, um, yeah, I went for it and started started getting into film, and then thankfully my knee got better, and I had a, a bunch more of, of of a surfing life left. Uh, but that got me into, and and so the films are just an excuse to travel and go look for good surf, and and I think m- more times than not when I. St- start a film it's because um i'm interested in something and it's an excuse to go find out about it like the last film that i did was it's called unbroken ground and it's about regenerative agriculture and i would i wanted to go meet wes jackson steve jones riley starks uh these characters like who are these guys um gosh it's they're they're all geniuses in ag um, it's, it's, they're lengthy descriptions. Um, Wes Jackson, for example, he's like 70 something. He founded the land Institute in Kansas and he's, uh, his, his life's work is, um, to create a perennial wheat. So the, 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 you know, wheat is normally an annual, right? So you, you, you work the ground you, know, you harvest and you work the ground again, right? And so we're the the amount of topsoil we're losing because of that is is over the years is going to be it's it's no bueno, right? Like it's it's. But if you create, why is that? Well, because all the topsoil is is blowing away. It's we're we're having we're having we're having less and less topsoil. Okay. And so, um, Wes Jackson has been his life's work is is to create a perennial so that you could have. You could you could do, you know, many many harvests of, of wheat from from one plant, and that those root systems then can grow as deep as twenty feet down, and then they're sequestering carbon in the ground, pulling it out of the atmosphere. It's 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 incredible. So I had I had always like he'd been a hero, and so that film and these other folks that I'm I'm talking about that are uh, just leaders in regenerative ag, um, I got to go hang out with them <laughs> and sit with them and ask them any question I wanted for, you know, two to four days. And so, yeah, most of the films that I work on is just something that I'd like to spend a year of my life, you know, dedicated to, to learning about. And most of the time it's something that I think I would love to um, share with, with an audience. Right. And, and so we, historically, you know, we make these little films and then we, we tour them and, um, I get to sit in a room f- full of people that are watching this this message that we've crafted, and then bullshit with them after the movie. That's to me that that's fun. And then I come back to the ranch and I'm a hermit for the for the rest of the year. But um, so those are those have been really fun to work on. So, 
You, you see a squirrel? No. Okay. <laughs> I thought I saw. <laughs> he's get, he's getting the binoculars out. <laughs> we're looking at a tree. We're at the bottom. Big... We're at the bottom of a valley right now. Check that D- out. Little doe right there. Where? Okay. Just fall, see that big oak right there? Yeah. Up, yeah. Up. Do you okay. See it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Okay, we'll see more of that. We will. Um, when it comes to a subject like regenerative agriculture, let's be honest, it is not a sexy subject. And oh my god, I, j- I joked about the film like uh, like people would be all excited because sometimes I'll do a film that's got, you know, the last one was Ramon Navarro surfing like sixty foot waves, and so when I come into town, you know, they, I think they might expect something more dynamic, and uh, the first premiere crowd fills in, and I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be hilarious, and somebody's <laughs> like, why, and I'm like, because it's a bunch of old people talking about seeds right. <laughs> I, and that's what it is and, and um but people dug it man they dug it. it it is a really it is a really tricky story to tell and i don't know if we how good a job we did but we tried and i, and I, th- I think it resonated i think it got pe- people thinking you know yeah so what do you when you're coming at a a super unsexy subject like soil and seeds yeah how do you in your mind frame that up in the pre-production to be able to tell a story that will be worth watching you just i i just was my thing was like just look for super hot biologists yeah like that's what i do too. yeah <laughs> no uh well, hey man you're battling game of thrones on a friday <laughs> night you got to do something yeah, there you go. <laughs> Throw, well, well, swing for the fences well, what were you saying how do i frame it up yeah how do you frame it up like it, you i i I think that you have a knack for storytelling i think that you understand narrative arc and conflict mm-hmm. um is intuitively and i'm guessing that's a skill that you've worked on as well yeah well uh, thank you that's a nice thing to say i um truth be told you know i'll have a book of notes and ideas and points and and do my homework and my research and and um and then yeah i have learned i have i've learned that you when you get into that edit bay what you have in the can is what you have in the can and so there's times where I'll go and I'll get exactly what I was hoping to get from a subject and cover them and their story. And then I'll really push myself to, to, to go into different worlds knowing that um, the way each story dovetails and each arc for each story it can and will vary depending on the other characters that we experience along the way. So that's to say that I just give myself, I shoot the shit out of it, out of, out of you know, a story so that I have those opportunities in the edit knowing that it's not going to go exactly the way I, I think it's going to go. So back when I first started, I would be like, killer, got it. That was great. You know, do like a 20 minute interview and, and then get back to the studio, you know, with that, with all my footage and realize like, why didn't I, why didn't I sit with there with them and really back into each story, uh, in a few different ways, you know, so that you so that you have those opportunities in the edit. Do you ask the questions in the interviews? For the films that you do, yeah, you do. Oh yeah, I, I do. And and um, to be honest, you know, there's some people that like you just put a quarter in and they just go. Like they love to speak and they're super articulate and succinct. And then there's people that are super cagey, um, like Wes Jackson. He interviewed me for half an hour before he would talk and my crew. He went to each guy and he's like, "So what college did you?" graduate from and luckily and thankfully each one of my guys had gone to college and he comes to me and I just kind of had to own it and I was like Wes I barely got through high school (laughs) and he just was like hmm okay and when you know a guy like him he's I think he's got total recall so so he was just incredibly red incredibly intelligent so with guys like him you just kind of like you kind of like you ask a question and they just talk about whatever they want to talk about. So you got to recognize people like that because usually those type of people are going to give you some incredible stuff that you didn't, didn't even think of. And then I'll admit it. There's, there's times when (laughs) I just need somebody to say something, you know, it's not, it's not a falsehood. It's not bending the truth. I know it's factual, but they're not saying the goddamn thing that they need to say. So I can (laughs) tell the story to the audience and sometimes, like, I, and I'm prepared when I say, like, okay, so can we say this in this sequence? 
and I'm prepared. I hate going to that mode, but when I do, I'm prepared for some people to be like, you know, don't tell me what to say, because that, that can happen. You How do you I mean? do it in a way that's not offensive? I just say, hey, look, like, this is, this story's great. We're, you know, I'm really excited about it being a part of the film. And our audience, I think they're going to be confused unless we hear it, re- you know, frame it up this way. Would you mind framing it up this way? And, like, if they don't understand that, like, I totally, uh, I get it, but like, I, I can't, I can't stand up in the middle of the movie and be like, well, so this is what he actually means. Right. You know, like I've, and that's comes from experience too. Cause I have done films where I wasn't able to get there. And in the movie, I'm like, want to get out of my chair so badly and say like, no, no, but so this is, this is what he really means because he did that in 1975 and then this and did it like, and, and, and so, so, okay. And then press play again you know like i don't like i hate i hated that feeling yeah it fractures the story i did a podcast with a kid named thomas morton who's a vice correspondent you know yeah, i think i met him i think i met him yeah, yeah. it's kind of short little kid wears wears glasses yeah gets, yeah I gets him, hurled yeah. into war zones see, and yeah. gigolo rings yeah, and yeah. crazy fucked up situations and he says that his goal with a story is to not do voiceover Right. Because as a host, he's talking about going into a situation saying, all right, so right now we're going to meet the Nigerian prostitutes. And if he forgets to say that in VO, he has to say, so we went to the Nigerian whorehouse and met the prostitutes. But he's like, but that's lazy. I don't want to do that. I want to have one cut where I'm in the situation and I get the audio I need because it brings the audience into that situation. It's a great point. It's a great point. You know, like I, I, um, you know, he, he, you know, has the ability to be on camera and, and speak, is, which is a tool that I, I, ne- I have never used. Um, but there's a lots of, you know, like put it this way, like when you get down to where you're using cards, which is like superimposed words on the screen, you know, you're like, fuck, like we didn't we don't have what we need. We have to literally say it you know, like in words on the screen. I and mean, there's times when you can do that seamlessly. But I, I from my experience, when I end up using um, words on the screen, it's because I didn't get it, you know? Right. Yeah, but I mean, some people can do it beautifully. Like, if you ever watch Anthony Bourdain? Yeah. Like, Bourdain does it beautifully because he's such a good writer. Yeah. He brings you into a situation and it's rich and juicy and yeah. it feels like you're you're listening to fiction. Yeah. So. I, I agree 100%. I mean, and there's times where you just got to try it in the edit and, like, sometimes you're like, you know what, that feels great. Like, that works, you know? And there's other times where you're like, this is clearly fixing up uh, a, a negative space you know yeah. so you, it's just just like anything you, you gotta gotta try it yeah and who do you work with at farm league which is your your production company yeah gosh there's a big there's a big crew of people um tim lynch is a is the ep that i worked with for 15 years What's ep um executive producer and um and then uh, Tina Kapowczyk, who's out, based out of Portland, and then Michael Pizzo, um, and wh- David Burden. There's a bunch of great people. And where are you based? I'm based here. You're, I mean, where's <laughs> where's Farm League based? In Santa Monica. In Santa Monica. Yeah. Okay. So I'm blessed with a great team, so that I pretty much have to go there. Like I'm there a couple times a year. Okay. <laughs> and 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 it's a great dynamic, and they they take such good care of me. I can I can work. I do a lot of editing in the barn that you just saw, you know, and um, and then of course go on the road. Do you pitch yourself? Um, yeah. So what I need you to do, Chris, right now <laughs> is I need you to tell me how to pitch. <laughs> well, you just got to have something good to pitch, and then it's easy. <laughs> do you tell? Oh, I don't have anything. I don't have anything to pitch right now. I, I, I we finished. Um, we finished. Well, I got a couple things I'm, you know, working on, writing and, and making sketches and ideas, and but they're not ready to to pitch yet, you know. Bring me into a successful pitch and walk me through that timeline. So I find that there are a lot of people who have great ideas, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of them have a hard time getting them funded. Well, I don't know. I've been blessed and had great support, but I think if you have. Th- if they can tell that you're going to make the thing, like anytime I pitch something, I don't say it, but I think they get the feeling that, um, like, oh shit, he's making this thing. That, like if it's not us, like he's, he's going to make this thing and we want to be a part of it kind of, you know, if you're, if you're truly that 
excited about something and you can speak to it um, and, and you really know your shit, like, the people can tell, you know? People can tell. You can make a deck with the prettiest pictures that you've pulled off the internet and stats on a bunch of bullshit and, like, that's just white noise to them, I think. Um, but if you go in there and you found, this, you know, a, a, a real story, a good story, um, like, it resonates right out of the gate, you know? So, so yeah there's no i i definitely not a formula i've pitched stuff in a million different ways and um won some lost some and um if you go in there with a lot of heart you can you do, you, do you have an example of a, a good one or a really nerve-wracking one uh <laughs> well once you're once here's a good one like one thing i would do with patagonia and i don't do this anymore but i would start the film without telling them <laughs> So I'd go on a trip and come back and then show them stuff and they'd, and, and they'd be like, this is incredible. Where did you get this? What is it? I'm like, it's a film where, where we just started. And so they had kind of no choice and the trip would be a good trip. You know, I would, right. I would, it would be, it would, you know, the footage would be good. So. Which trips? Oh gosh. I'm not going to, I don't want to get myself in trouble. Here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, don't, don't, um, don't need to. But, um, but yeah, so I mean, I think that it's a smart it's it's a smart strategy to allow people to see a little bit of something, yeah, and just give them a taste and yeah. kind of wet their palate. In and a way, you can do that now because when we first started, it was sixteen millimeter film, and so it took a lot of time and energy and resources to get a sample of what your idea now. And so nowadays, I mean, you really can you can go take a you know half a day and. Um, grab you know there's a myriad of, of cameras out there that you can get in your hands for cheap and and just you know string together a, a 60 second thing and, and slap some music to it in your in your you know in your office um and give people that's what i tell that's what i tell young kids that that say they want to be a director i'm i tell them that like you are a director like you literally have at your fingertips pretty much everything you need to go start telling stories like go like like go leak go on a walk for two hours and come back with with the raw footage and then take an hour and cut it and that's a movie and like keep doing it and then in in the movie world nobody ever says uh hey so you you're you're a director spying director we have a slot here would you like to do it that doesn't happen you have it's tooth and nail you and you have to go here here's here's this little body of work i made take i'm going to sit here with you you have to watch it it'll take five minutes and then you have to knock somebody's socks off with your little reel and they go wow that's amazing go get me coffee and then in two three four five months there's a somebody gets sick or something happens and they're like hey kid get in here and then you and then you hit your home run and 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 you're off and running like you 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 got it's tooth and nail you know what i mean how have you managed to maintain uh your authenticity through working with so many different brands because there definitely is a chris malloy stamp on the projects that you do <laughs> i don't know if that's <laughs> it's a shit stain is what i'm talking about <laughs> there you go yeah. no but i mean you know you know what i mean yeah. and i i think that uh it's very easy in a world where someone is willing to give you money to want to appease them. Right. Um, and I've worked with networks in the past where they would get a sponsor on board and there would just be this like, yes, and oh, absolutely. Like yeah. we'll do whatever you want and we'll lose our own soul yeah. um, through the process. And I do, yeah, I, mean, I, I do respect that you've been able to maintain that. Like whether you're working with a Yeti or a Patagonia mm. or whatever company it is, yeah. um, there's a there's an element of style that maintains through it. Well, I appreciate that. I I think that for me the first thing is just realizing that like nothing's authentic. So make it as honest as you can. Like in that in that world in those worlds people all they do is talk about real and authentic and like I'm just like shut the fuck up. Like we're you know this is this is this is film. This is and a lot of the stuff is real honest and 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 um and I guess I'm a I'm a super cynical person and like to make fun of everything. And so, like when we're when we're working, like and the crew that I work with, we're similar. You know, we're always making fun of ourselves. And so, like when you when when something when you, something starts happening, materializing, that's just just like so laughable. Even though it wouldn't translate in the in the final piece, 
<clears throat> we try to rejigger and try to be like, okay, that's ridiculous. That's, you know what I mean? That's not even close to how that should go. Or And, and then, and then the other thing is I, tr- I just try to work with like in terms of talent, people that we're documenting, like work with people that aren't full of shit, you know, and, and get out of their way and document them doing what they do. And, and usually you'll have something at the end that's, not too full of shit. Do you ever have it where you think that someone's going to be great and then they get on camera and they put on their voice <laughs> and all of a sudden they have their TV voice? Uh, or One thing I've noticed is um, if we are doing any work with Patagonia, um, say we're out in Washington and we're going to be out on the uh, reef netting um, with, the, with the crew, you know, the guys that fish all year up there and we're doing a dock style piece on them when when they know on that day everybody shows up in every piece of patagonia clothes they've ever worn it's just like and we're like ah like this is horrible like just wear what you know wear what you'd normally wear like a patagonia jacket's fine but you don't need socks underwear pants hat you know (laughs) patagonia and it's so nice of them to do you know but you're like ah it looks so it looks that's it looks contrived yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah well i mean that's kind of the nice thing about about Patagonia is that they're kind of minimalistic about I feel like that's changed very much just in the last like five years with branding in general Mm -hmm. like the logos have gotten smaller Mm -hmm. and they're more in the background whereas like when you were a pro surfer it was front center everywhere DCS DCS same one that same old doe um (laughs) (laughs) I I think that just the audience is just so much more discerning right with with the exponential sort of uh, intake of how people consume media um i think that people when the when brands started to say like okay we're gonna we're gonna show you our logo at the end of this thing but this thing that we're that you're seeing really has nothing to do with us but we're gonna take the time and money to pay for it and share it with you guys just because we think it's fucking awesome and um and uh, ho- hopefully you dig it. And I think the audience started to go, you know what? We love that. We appreciate that. And we back you all day long because you made a <clears throat> two-minute film of something that has pretty much nothing to do with your brand and shared it with us because you thought it was awesome. And at the end, you're like, hey, brought to you by what, you know, whatever. I think, I think people started realizing that works. It works a hell of a lot better than some super contrived thing where you have these candy-ass weirdos, you know, plastered in a logo. You know, I think this generation is like you know what that's i'm not buying that you know so it's that's been as a filmmaker great yeah has um i think that yeti's a good example of that would you agree with that yeah i mean they they do a ton of original stories and you've worked with them quite a bit in the past i have i've done a bunch of film with them and they are just an incredible crew to work with and they i mean i would say so their main producer is a guy out of austin named scott baloo and he um, and I, I worked with him for years, and I mean, the f- most of the films that I've done with them are basically like, hey, let's this guy's one of our heroes that does really badass shit. Let's just go hang out with him and do what, like, watch him go do this for a week. And he's like, cool, greenlit, you know. And we go and we ha- take a tiny crew, and I mean, so far we've just had an absolute blast with 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 those projects. What's uh What's an example of one you really enjoyed? Um, gosh, we did one with uh, JT Van Zant, um, Fishing Reds down in Laguna Madre, which is actually out of Rockport, which is, uh... What are Reds? Fish. Fish, fish. big Reds. So they tail and you fly fish them. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's actually right where Harvey slammed. So the place, the cabin, the fishing cabin we, we were in for that trip, he sent me a picture, is just gone. Whoa. Yeah, super bummer. Um, so yeah, heart goes out to all the, all those, that whole crew, man, just so heavy what happened down there. So, um, and then we did a one with Shane Dorian that was a ton of fun. You know, I've grown up with Shane, so that was, you know, we did, um, had a great, great run with him and his son Jackson. And then we just were on the big island, um, on Parker Ranch with the Parker Ranch cowboy crew and we watched them gather and sort and brand and went pig hunting with those guys and and got on some really nice pigs and then they did this incredible meal for us and and played incredible music and it was it was about as good as it gets for me for a guy who 
Well, and we went down and threw net and caught fish. So for a guy like me who loves the hills and loves the ocean, like one minute we're throwing net with the Parker Ranch Paniolo, and then we're, those guys are roping and then hunting pigs, and it was a, a dream trip. I, I'm still cutting that one, actually. The Big Island's such a special spot, man. <laughs> like for hunters and fishermen, there's yeah. not many better places in the whole world yeah, where, where you can do that. I mean, there's waves, too, but if yeah. you want to go hunt and fish, it's so plentiful out there, it's man. It's crazy. Really, really special spot. Did you spend all, Have you spent a lot of time out there like when you were living on the North Shore? Not too much. Probably... Probably like because Shane's dad was still around when you know up until gosh I forget when he passed but we'd go over and and surf banyans and hang out with you know Shane and uh, CJ Kahuna and that whole crew and yeah I mean I got to go over there quite a bit but I, I never did long stints or anything right is Shane, was Shane one of your best friends growing up when you were in the <clears throat> the I pro think, surfing world the pro surfing world yeah for sure for sure he's i think everybody that knows Shane considers him one of their best friends him one of their best friends cuz he treats he treats you he treats everybody that way you know he he is a, he's a really good guy and and um yeah i was real tight with with him and i mean we were all living in like you know these like hovels together so there would be i think the record was like there was this one house at sunset that Conan Hayes and the DeMello brothers had rented, I think, and I think there was, and it was a one room, one bathroom, and there was one night we counted 14 guys sleeping on the floor, you know, so um, everybody from that era is tight, and, and it's neat, because it's like, you know, Shane will come um, come visit us, or Mark Healy, or Akila, or my buddy Jesse Lovett, like, they're all, they'll come through and hang out, and you know, and then I go there. I go there every year and hang out too. So we're we're all still tight. That's cool. That's cool. it's definitely a special time. I mean, right when media was coming in in a certain way, that that captured a generation. Yeah, I mean, the, the '90s were was kind of saw the the big the boom of the surf industry. It just was sort of this unbridled growth, and we were, for better or worse, the the the, the kids that they they stuck the logo on and put a quarter in and we went and did our thing and of course we saw it as just you know getting to surf um all day every day and get better and better and surf bigger and bigger waves I and mean, it was an absolute dream for us but um you know when you look at it you look at it now and um you know i definitely liked surfing culture um before that boom happened but um so to know that we are a little bit complicit in that boom is sometimes I don't like to think as much about that part as as just the. Uh, I mean, when I first started <clears throat> surfing the North Shore, I would be in the lineup with Dan K. Aloha, uh, Jerry Lopez, um, Peter Cole, Roger Erickson, um, Johnny Boy Gomes. All like it. We really, it really was. You know, Mark Fu, Ken Bradshaw, like that 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 was a certain era of guys that were still out there so that was a huge honor to get to to meet those elders and and um learn from them and get slapped around by some of them too but um yeah so what advice would you have given yourself back then if my okay so the two things i would have done if i could i would have finished school because i dabbled in um junior college really dabbled just half-assed it um I could have easily um finished school um and then um I I was I was pretty disconnected from um from the ranch world um like I I didn't rope I didn't I didn't have anything to do with horse and cattle stuff and that was literally right across the street on the north shore like there was roping arenas everywhere so there's that gap big gap I was so focused on surfing and girls (laughs) that I that was it um and I should have had a good rope horse and been doing that on the weekends and and uh and so 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 I'm paying that I I pay the price for that now when because now you're learning later in life well I'm relearning and and I'm you know I've been home 10 years so I'm I'm I've, but it's I'm all like like my like my brother Keith's like you know you know those guys that surfed until they were like 20 and then stopped until they were you know whatever and then got back into it I'm like yeah he's like they're always going to be kooks <laughs> and like I know I know I'm a kook but I'm still I'm still contributing and having fun and progressing in my own my own way yeah do you see it now like pro surfing like how do you view it 
now. Pro surfing? Yeah. yeah. How do you view pro surfing now? I, I love to view it now because I really have nothing to do with it. So I could be, a, I was a big surf fan as a kid, you know, and, and so now I'm, I can just be a surf fan. I, I, um, I, I love John John, <laughs> you know, I was, I was, you know, involved with their family when they were little kids and got to, you know, got to take them surfing and make them breakfast. They live like two doors, doors down, um, John John and Ivan and Nathan. And, and so they're like little brothers in a way, especially John John. The other ones, the other brothers were pretty dang young when, when I left, um, as a whole, you know, it's just like, it's just like, it was it's just getting crazier and crazier and and um like you know the gripes with pro surfing that people had from the very beginning of pro surfing they, they it's the same pretty much the same gripes you know and i kind of I, I can get cynical sometimes and it's so easy to go to those knee jerk you know like ah oh, it's, it's getting crazy da, 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 da. but like if you just shut up and just watch these guys and and these waves, it's really fun. You know, it's it's fun to watch. And and I really I I don't know as far as I I hear how much they make now. And I I um believe it or not, almost feel sorry for them. the kids that are making millions of dollars a year because like you you take the era before our era and guys pretty much had to like sell weed to keep on tour or do something or like barely barely made it. You know, the guys that really broke down the doors. You know, and and um. Our era, most of us got paid enough to travel, eat, buy beer, and if we were smart, save a little bit of money, like a little bit. And it really kept us, I think, honest. And I see, it, I, nobody, no, almost nobody had handlers and agents and managers, and Kelly did maybe, you know, but that's about it because he needed one. You know, he was in a different world, but. I see these kids now and they literally have a, a full blown entourage and their the responsibilities to to you know earn, to earn that check are just tenfold and you know they're never going to have to work in the rest of their lives and even though work can really suck like I'm really thankful that I had to to dig in and earn a living and and um, I'm really thankful for for that that I wasn't I wasn't like still trying to be that thing, even though I'm not really. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I, I totally know what you you mean. There's a um, there was a string of suicides that happened up in Marin a, n- a number of years ago um, with really wealthy kids, really wealthy junior high and high school kids, and it was happening to such a degree that um, a term was coined called affluenza. It was the affluent. Right. And you look at suicide, you look at depression, it's today, these astronomical numbers are from upper middle class white men, Mm -hmm. people who we in society have been told are, you know, at the pinnacle, right? This is the pinnacle. Mm -hmm. But there's something that's not clicking now because clearly happiness doesn't come from having everything being given to you easily. Mm-hmm. Satisfaction, hard work. Um, I mean, that's what self-actualizes us mm-hmm. as humans. Well, I just, uh, I don't know much about that. I, I just, I do know that, um, you know. But you're doing it, right? Like, I, I think that, like, <clears throat> you're doing it on a certain level, if that mm, makes sense, maybe, right? Maybe. <laughs> I th- I think that there's this, in, in modern society, there, there's, people really do not look at the, our genetics look at like the human species and they don't take that into consideration when they with with their politics with their with their ideals and i think that you know if somebody doesn't ever have to do anything and they don't their their genetics are telling them that they they, they should be out you know fighting and fucking and 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 hunting and doing you know doing that's what they were bred to do that's, <laughs> yeah that's what they were bred to do so if they stop doing that stuff they're not getting those endorphins and they're probably feeling shitty about themselves that's that's the only thing i would say you know i mean i it's like you look at a a big fat golden retriever in the little backyard chasing a a, a ball around um he, he's pretty stoked right they're stoked but if you look at like 
uh, cow dog that's like you know running around on a hundred thousand acres a day getting a job done like that's a that's a happy dog right there so so maybe you know those kids just got tired of chasing that tennis ball and it just I don't know. Right. That's a sad deal. I don't really know have what to you, say. Have you ever heard of a guy named Sebastian Younger or a book mm-hmm. called Tribe? Yeah. I mean, that's that's yeah. it, right? It's that we've um, we've lost a lot of these very core elements, core elements of community, core elements of, of needing to move up against something. Sebastian was a... Um, who's a war correspondent, mm-hmm. and he talked a lot about when he went to Restrepo, and, and, which was this horrible conflict situation I read, um, I read that book yeah, yeah 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 and then all the people left and they they felt this desire to go back to Restrepo which is like in logically you would think wait why would they ever want to do this mm-hmm. because that was a conflict zone but it banded them together right, right. It, it it created yeah. this kind of tribe and um you know I, I don't mean to you've read the no, book so we don't no. need to talk a lot about it but uh I think that that's really interesting. Like when uh, something like a natural disaster happens, um, suicide rates go down. Yeah, you know, and that's yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's that's. We're seeing that in the first world, uh, first world countries, especially in the U.S., is that <clears throat> our civilization is so well fed, um, so well taken care of. They're just fucking bored. Right, and that you're seeing a lot, and and it really we're seeing starting to see some signs that really are this that like if you look at every from Babylon to Rome, like certain telltale signs are starting to happen here that are are indicators of the decline, the beginning indicators of the decline of a civilization, um, and I believe it really comes um, out of people's uh, entitlement <clears throat> and boredom, and and uh, and you know that's definitely. A huge can of worms but I, I, I see that yeah what do you see as um, potential paths forward for a healthier society or what are some bright spots that you've observed um, <clears throat> I think I think I get a really good feeling when I see a family or a group of people that are so busy working with their minds and their hands that they don't have time to get into the um, craziness of politics these days like the people those people make me happy I try to you know em- I try to emulate them because I do I am guilty of getting caught up in the you know the current political atmosphere and it's just maddening it's enough to make anyone crazy so um, you know I try to keep up on it just enough to be be aware uh, of, of, of what's happening um, but the days where I do a project, like I, I dig a ditch or something, I feel a lot better. So and to me, that's the only answer because it's like if it's government, you know, uh, if, if the government somehow tries to create a program where people are actually going to get up and be physical and tune in with the world around them and um, um, like they, they, can't, they can't, you can't force people to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and there's a lot more people out there. That are just doing good stuff with their lives, um, and because they're not the ones in their f- stupid fucking outfits um, at rallies, like those rallies are full of wackos on both sides. Like there's very few people at all those like those these big rallies that, because the people that I'm talking about, they're 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 doing shit. Yeah, they're, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so the like when I have days where I get caught up in the politics, I just try to remind myself like. Just go, just go do something with your hands, and um, all of a sudden things start to make more sense, and the world's not going to blow up tomorrow. And you know what I mean? That's the only yeah. thing I can offer. You told me something a long time ago that Uh-oh. stuck with me. Uh oh. Yeah, I know. I was so we were in Spain for that film festival <laughs> in, in San Sebastian, and I saw you on a corner across the street, and I was I was just touring the city, tripping around, and. I walked up to you and I was like, "Hey, what are you doing right now?" You're like, "Oh, nothing. Let's let's trip around for a little while." And we went through San Sebastian. And we had a couple beers, and we were sitting down. And I remember you said, "You said, Kyle, seriously, man, just save up some money, get a little piece of property, grow your own food, use your hands, and you're gonna be happy." 
Like just, just fucking do that. And it's something that I think about a lot because I struggle with it because I want to, to get amongst it and get in the ring. And I enjoy working in media and involving myself in these kinds of conversations, but it can, it can easily turn into a kind of neuroses. And I find that it helps me a lot, you know, when I'm able to go surfing, when I'm able to use my hands, um, it just, it's the most real thing I feel. And it's always this kind of, God, it's a struggle between two worlds, and I don't know I what the, what the balance is. I get that. I get that. And um, yeah, usually after a couple of beers, I have all kinds of good ideas. But I I, I remember that. And and um, first off, I'm not the wise sage telling the the young the young guy all the all the tri- the tr- you know how to do it because you know that's that that idea is something I'm still working on. But um. I think, and I think you have um, a gift with communication, and you should keep doing that. I just, I when I see a guy like you that's that's so full of energy, and like in the, in especially in that city that we were in, it's like it's just so this is madness, you know. <clears throat> keep keeping that balance and keeping because if you do all of the, you know, communications and the that kind of stuff, like I think you just burn out. Totally, man. I mean, I, I feel that with um, environmental documentary. Now, if I involve myself in an environmental film, I really need to set my expectations. Right. So if I'm going to do a film on plastic pollution, mm-hmm. it's not going to end plastic pollution. Right. It might move the needle a little bit. Right. But it, I, I've in the past gotten too caught up in, in the effect that my work will have. Mm-hmm. And the older I get, the more I realize how many people there are in the world right. and how many moving parts there are at all times. Right. So to really set expectations and to um, just do it for the enjoyment and do it for the the sheer curiosity of it and not think so much about the effect that we'll have um, has been a more helpful mindset for me to sit in. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I mean, I don't, yeah, I, when I do conservation stuff, like I think maybe I, like in my opinion like the world's not supposed to last forever it's like a flower or it's like a tree or it's like a person like it's 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 easy come easy go i think your beard will last forever <laughs> so with that once you it is impregnable <laughs> we'll stand the test of time we'll see but i so once i don't know once you have that philosophy it's like you're doing the conservation work because it's the right thing to do and and you believe in it and um but like i don't know if like if the people i know that are really truly think they're trying to save the world like they're nuts you know and god bless them you know they're they're doing some great work but they're usually not very happy and because if you think it's up to you to save the world you're gonna go you're gonna be miserable yeah um and 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 you're always gonna fail and and, and and so like to the day no matter how much great work you do the day on your deathbed you're going to be miserable because you're like it's no I, i'm not done so i feel like i don't stress about that like i don't i really don't stress about trying to save like trying to like it's like do some good work while you're here because it's a short period of time I, I really like 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 we did a film about um, down in Chile, the Baca River was being dammed by a power company from Spain called Endesa, and it was like a foregone conclusion that it was happening. Like it was, it was done. And I made the film more as a. My approach was more of like let's document this incredible place, so that humanity has a before and after to look at someday. That's kind of why I was doing it, and um, everybody else was really freaked out, you know, and uh, and and. Anyway, they didn't. They didn't. It wasn't because of our film, but they, the 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 powers that be and the local communities, like they stopped the dam. It didn't happen. But I guess I don't, there's no real end to that story, other than like I I don't go into each thing going thinking like okay, it's up to us. You know, it's like yeah, do, do good work, do what you believe in, and um, you know, um, breathe easy at the end of the day because what will be will be. You want to shoot a squirrel? I don't see any right now. Uh-huh. You want, um, to f- you want to fire your gun? We can wrap this up. <laughs> How's this thing work? You fire it. I'll fire it. All right. So what do we need? What are we doing here? Um. So what are we doing here? Let me start over. All right. So you put these little. 
the only time I've ever f- fired a gun uh, was with a couple friends of mine, and uh, he had a .30-06, mm-hmm. and I put my uh, eye up to the scope, and I'm like, all right, all right, so I got it all ready, I'm set up, and I fired it, and I fucking scoped myself and gave myself a big black eye. What <laughs> There. There we go. Thanks for taking the time to sit down with me, man. That was fun. Come back anytime. <laughs> That's our show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to play you out with a song by The Devil Makes Three called Do Wrong Right. And you can go over to thedevilmakes3.com to listen to more of their music. Later this week, I'm having my big brother on the podcast. He is a firefighter, and we're going to talk all things firefighting. If you like this podcast and would like to donate, head over to my website, kyle.surf. I so appreciate all of you who are patrons. It really does make the difference. Thank you so much. If you don't have cash, I totally get it. If you can give this show a rating on iTunes or whatever it is that you're listening from, it helps other people find the show and it actually really does make a difference. So while you're listening to this song and want to give this show a rating, that would be super duper cool. Or don't do anything. Just keep listening. You know, Uh, no stress. I love making these podcasts for you regardless. So get outside, get in the water, give someone a high five, and I'll see you soon. Have a great day.
If you're gonna do wrong, buddy, do wrong right. You wanna make a little mess, you wanna make a little crime. If you're gonna do wrong, buddy, do wrong. 